Turn your Bibles with us, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. As most of you know, we're studying the letters of Paul. The letters of Paul. How many of them are there? Thirteen. By the way, if you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. I would like for you to have one. They'll make sure that you get one. Please raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get an outline. The 13 letters or epistles, as they're called, written to churches by the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's interesting how he wrote to these churches that existed over 2,000 years ago, and yet the principles and these letters apply to us and the churches today just like it did back then. And uh, the church at Corinth is quite interesting in the fact it was set in a city that was very, very immoral. Bear with me for just a moment as we read just a little bit about this. We've gone through this as we have looked at this uh, particular book, 1 Corinthians. Corinth was an important city in Paul's day, generally known as a city devoted to pleasure-seeking. It was a center for Greek culture and a busy commercial city with a cosmopolitan uh, atmosphere that brought together people and customs from different parts of the world. Pagan religions with sexual rites and ceremonies existed, and both materialism and immorality were the accepted order of the day. The Corinthian church's membership was composed of people from many different quarters, including those whose training and environment were foreign to the Hebrew standards of morality. Paul was deeply concerned that the Corinth church, or that Christian church rather than Corinth, should be customary in a pagan society. I don't know whether you know it or not, and I believe you do. All of us know that we're living in a pagan society today here in America. It was once called, and it's still called, I guess, Christian America. But we are far from where this nation was founded upon. On the subject of immorality within the membership of the church, Paul is very explicit. Any type of immoral conduct must not be tolerated among the believers. If any of their number persist in following the low moral standards of pagans, they should be excluded from membership. Association with evildoers, association with evildoers cannot be avoided so long as the church members live in a wicked city or world. But it need not be permitted within the group that is called Christian. The function of the church is set is to set a high standard for the society in which it exists. I want to say that again. Very important. Very important. The function of the church is to set a high standard for the society in which it exists, which cannot be done by permitting low standards among their own members. Look at your introduction on the paper that you have. The book of 1 Corinthians is rich in information that our churches of the day need to be aware. The problems, listen to this, faced 
there are still with us today in so many ways. Perhaps in looking at this book, God can show us ways to face similar situations and deal with them so that we can accomplish much for his kingdom on this earth. Notice the two main problems that existed. The one main problem was disunity, and we dealt with that earlier. And the other problem was open, notice what we're saying, open, unrepented of sin in the church. If you allow me, and I want to read these scriptures, I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. It is actually, here's the word of God, here's the apostle Paul, here's God himself texting to us this Sunday morning. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as it is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. If you study this, you'll find that this man was having an affair with his stepmother, with his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, having already judged, as though I was present, Paul said, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, I love this, this eighth verse, when I get to it, it's so powerful. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feeds, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice, and he names four things here, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, and not only sincerity, but also in truth. Notice your outline, the immorality defiles the church. Not only was there immorality and sin and incest in the church, but the attitude of the church was saying, So what? Uh, The message says your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. Would you say that about our churches today? Your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. If it bothers Paul, it might bother you. When we see things go on in the church that should not be, and it's allowed, and not only that, but we're puffed up about it. Now, I understand this message this morning is a pastoral message. It is not necessarily an evangelistic message, but that's okay, isn't it? Because we need it. I need it. And I think the church as a whole needs it. And I think we need to understand 
the, immort, the uh, immortality, I'm sorry, immorality, not immortality. Immorality defiles the church, a casual attitude towards sexual morality. I believe that the church needs to get serious about morality. And understand that, that you say, Pastor, God's loving, God's caring. I know that. And you know how I feel about balance in the church and about balance when it comes to understanding and rightly dividing the Word of God. I know that. But the church needs to get serious about morals. The problem of incest, it was a practice not even accepted among unbelieving pagans. Paul said, it's not even accepted in, in, out in, in the world with unbelievers. And here you are allowing it to go on in the church. The Corinthians displayed an apathetic attitude toward this outrageous sin. In other words, God knew what was happening. And by the way, in case you don't know it, Let's, let's remember, God knows where we are. God knows what we're doing. God knows the sin in our lives. The preacher may not know it. The congregation may not know it. Even your husband or wife or your family may not know it. But God knows all things. And a lot of people struggle in life because God does know it. And they fail to confess the sin the Bible says, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as long as we retain that, as long as we try to hide that, and as long as that sin is in us, it's like a cancer. It will destroy us. Not only in our own personal lives, but in a body of believers. They displayed this attitude towards it. They tolerated this sin. Paul instructed the church in godly discipline. I know, I know. You don't hear much about church discipline anymore. <laughs> but, but Paul spoke of it very clearly, explaining don't allow these things to go on in the body of believers. This was one case of immorality behavior reported, not an indication that the church was riddled with immoral behavior. Now, there are a lot of people that will say that, that this church at Corinth was riddled with immorality. Didn't say that. I do think there were things going on. I think there was pride in the church and certainly there were problems in the church and there was other sins in the church. But God's instructed Paul to instruct the church to rid themselves of this awful, awful behavior. Look at number five under Roman numeral number one. We must understand that failing to deal I want you to follow me closely with this, what I'm fixing to say, because uh, I have one here, number seven, keep in mind we're not to be spiritual detectives who pry into the lives of members. 
I mean, we shouldn't be running around trying to make sure that we straighten everybody out over their preferences. I preached a funeral, funeral some years ago in a church here in Durham. It was a large church. And I was standing in the back of the church or inside the church, back of the choir with the pastor of the church. And they had on their uh, wall instructions for their choir members. And uh, at that time, my hair was a little bit longer than it is now. I'm certainly a different color than it is now. But it did touch the collar. And uh, on the wall, if the band that sung in the choir, if his, if his hair touched the collar, he couldn't sing in the choir. So I'll never forget, I looked at it and I called the preacher by name and I said, listen, I couldn't sing in the choir, in your choir, could I? He looked at me and said, oh, you're all right, you're all right. And then they had measuring for you. The ladies had to have their dresses several inches below their knees. Now, I, uh, I think it's important that we understand that we're not to be polygs. Again, I'm talking about balance. Running around trying to straighten everybody out. But I believe there are certain things and certain sins that need to be addressed. I like what Chuck Swindoll says. He said, so do not look to prompt lust, talking about sexual sins. And this, and, and you know, years ago you didn't have the internet, but now you deal with it almost daily because something's popping up or something's enticing or, you know, especially the guys. We have to keep our minds and our hearts and our our, our, our lives pure before the Lord. But notice what Chuck Swindoll says. So do not look to prompt lust. Do not touch to stimulate lust. In today's terms, do not undress a man or a woman in your mind as you stare at the physical appearance. Do not linger at the magazine rack or rent X-rated videos or watch films that stare, stir your sensual desires. And ladies, this is not a Pentecostal guy. I want you to understand this, but this is what he says. And ladies, you can cooperate by refusing to wear seductive attire. You had no idea when you ate breakfast this morning, took your bath, shaved, and got in the car and come to this church that you're going to hear anything about this kind of stuff, but it's needed. Ladies, by saying no to such things, you tear out your eye or you cut off your hand. One of the best ways I have found to obey Jesus' instruction is simply to replace sensual thoughts with wholesome ones. Isn't that a good, isn't that a good suggestion? To occupy my mind with things that are pure, lovely, healthy, and positive, rather than lured, provo- provocative, and questionable script, questionable. Things that are questionable. Scripture memory works wonders, frankly. I find it impossible to simultaneously lust and repeat verses on moral purity. I like that. You'd rather be playing golf today than listening to something like this? No. I believe the Lord is, is saying something to us. What a challenge. 
And it's important for us to understand. We must understand that failing to deal with flagrant, blatant, unrepented sin and open sin emboldens an unrestrained and undisciplined living. It's so true. If, if, the, if the church doesn't recognize the ungodliness and the awfulness of immorality, certainly the world is not going to be affected by it. And so we need to understand all church discipline has restoration. Not only do we need to deal with it. How do you deal with it, Brother Don? It says turn that individual over to Satan. How do you turn an individual over to Satan? First of all, you put them out of the church. Now, in some places, Paul says, reveal it publicly. But if you look at Matthew, in, in, in the book of Matthew, you find out that he gives instruction, the writer does, on how to deal with sin and how to deal with people that are disobedient and how to deal with someone that has something against you. He says, first of all, go to that person privately. Second of all, if they won't hear you, to take someone with you. So there be a witness. And thirdly, if they don't hear you, neither the witness, witnesses that goes with you, he says, take them before the church. And if they don't hear the church, put them out. So there are ways that you deal with blatant, ungodly, unrepented of sins in the congregation and in people's lives. And that's the reason we need fellowship. That's the reason we need men and women to fellowship together because iron sharpens iron. And it's important that we deal with these things. The disobedient believer is turned over to Satan by putting him or her out of the church so that God can allow Satan to chastise that person, maybe even physically, so that he will get straightened out spiritually. It's important that we do those things. Look at Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, and this is what I just said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I said earlier, the, 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 the reason, I'll get more to, into this in just a moment, the reason that we are to, to, to discipline a person is to make sure or to hope that that person will repent and change their way of life. Look at Roman numeral number two. The reason we are to practice church discipline, I love this, first of all, is to glorify God. Amen? God is glorified God is glorified because the church is carrying out His will in obedience to His commands. It's not what Pastor Don is saying this morning. This is what God's Word says. You see, God will judge all of us. 
But when it comes to the local church, God puts the church in charge of dealing with sin. The church. And we need to understand that. So first of all, it's to glorify God. Second of all, it is to purify the church. In order for the church to be pure, that person that fails to repent, that is rebelling against God, that blatantly sins, that person is to be put out of the church and certainly allow Satan to deal with them, again, as I said, perhaps physically. Number three, the reason that we're to practice church discipline is to restore the sinner, the sinning believer. Church discipline should focus on restoration and not judgment and condemnation. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if a brother or sister be overtaken in the fault, restore such a one. How? In love. So there is this great, great dealing that Paul gives us in his writings whether it's in Corinthians or Galatians or whether it's in Matthew that others that Matthew wrote about that God tells us how to deal with these things and you might say well pastor uh, I'm having a hard time just living a Christian life I'm paying my bills and 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 going to work and going to church and take care of the kids and the grandkids and and here you are talking about all of this I believe that the church needs to look at immorality the way that, that the Scripture tells us to. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should go around finding fault, judging people all the time, and criticizing and trying to, to, to picket people. But I am saying that churches today are allowing sinners to be leaders in the church. I'm talking about unrepentant leaders, sinners. I'm talking about people that commit sin blatantly, openly, and they fail to deal with it. Number four, to deter, here's another reason, the church from sin. It reminds everyone that sin and righteousness are serious matters and it instills godly fear. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also might, what? Fear. Most of us know about Ananias and Sapphira. You remember those names? They, in the early church, in the book of Acts, they sold a piece of property. And they came and told Peter and the apostles and gave the money to to them. And they told Peter and the apostles, oh, this is what we sold the property for. But the truth was they sold it for more and they kept back some money. The problem wasn't them giving all the the money. The problem was that they lied, the Bible says, to the Holy Spirit. And all of us, most of us, not all of us, know how that Ananias died and Sapphira later on died. They were killed. Listen to what it says about that, Acts 5 and 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, I don't think God's going around today. We don't find another incident just like that, even in the book of Acts. I don't think God's going around today killing people. But I do think that there needs to be fear in the hearts and lives of people in their actions and deeds when it comes to blatant sin, immorality before God. 
especially in the church. God says out there, it's a different story. It's a different story. And number five, here's a reason that we should practice church discipline. It's to maintain a credible witness before the world. The world observes the behavior and life of the church. They still do. Even in this culture, even in this time in which we live, when the church acts no differently than the world, it loses credibility. I want you to listen and read with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, Beloved, I beg you, Peter says, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the world looks at, at the church. And it's time that the church be the church and live like the church. The church today does not have the power that it once did because if we're not careful, we've allowed sin, immorality to creep in. It's quiet in here this morning. I know it is. But oh, how much we need to know that God hates sin. God hates immorality. God hates hypocrisy. And we should not allow it to stay in the church, especially when it comes to the leaders and the members of the church. Number three, and we're closing. The backdrop of this passage is the Passover. I love verses 6 and 8. Your glorying, Paul says to this church, is not good. Not only is there sin there, not only is there rebellion there, but you do, you do nothing about it. In fact, you, you have pride in it. It's not good, Paul said. It's not good. Notice what he said. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ the Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Most of us know the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. And the night, and the night that the death angel came, they were to take and slay a lamb, take the blood of that lamb, put it over the doorpost. And the millions of Hebrews that did that were saved. The Egyptians did not do that, and the firstborn of every family was slain. But in the process of this lamb and the process of the blood over the doorpost, they were to go seven days and, and go throughout their house. And if there was any uh, leavened bread, which typified sin, it indicated corruption. God Almighty said, you must remove that from your house. 
and it was important that they were obedient to the Lord. Listen to what number one says. Leaven to the Jews was also a symbol of sin, a symbol of corruption. So before the Passover, they were always, they always uh, scoured their houses to remove all traces of leaven. And that's found in Exodus 12, 15. Listen to what it says. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. It typified corruption. It symboled sin. Christians must have the same attitude. We must not allow the yeast of sin to grow in the church or even in our lives. And and yeast can grow and sin can grow if it is left unchecked. Wow. You know, I, 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 it is important that we understand what God is saying when it comes to the open sin that the church is allowing in it today. May we as believers look back to Christ as our Passover lamb and look around us and search the heart of our house, search our lives, that there be no speck of leaven, of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of truth and certainly sincerity. Not malice, not evil, not wickedness. God says get it out, but with sincerity and in truth. The word sincerity there is used like a uh, something that is held up before the sun, the light of the sun. Merchants back then would take their vessels or, or their vases and their pottery that they were going to sell. And if it was cracked, it wouldn't bring much money. So they painted over the crack of that vase or that item. And they would turn the lights down dim in the store or their place of business. So when people came in to buy uh, these items, you didn't see the crack. It was hid. But they were, if they took those items and they would hold it up to the light of the sun, they could see the crack. And that's what that word indicates, that word sincerity. I want to ask you something today. If my motive, if your motive, if our life, though hidden, nobody knows anything about it. Nobody knows what goes on. As one writer, country writer said, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. But if God Almighty would take our life, our heart, our motives, and hold them up before the sun, what would we see? What a challenge. I thought about that and I said, God, I want to be a vessel that is pure and holy before you. I want to be sincere. Why do we do what we do? Why are we in church today? Why do I serve God? Why do I work for the Lord? Why do I witness? 
Why do I visit? Why do I pay my tithe? What's the motive behind that? It will all be held up before the very eyes of God and the sunlight of His revealing love. And God says, don't, don't be filled with, with leavened bread. Don't allow sin to fester. Deal with it. As I said earlier, if we confess our sins, He'll forgive us. Brother Don, don't we sin? Yes. All of us sin. Every one of us sin. But for those who are disobedient to God, that the Holy Spirit of God has dealt with, and conviction is there. And it is an open sin before the church, but especially before God. And for that person that fails or refuses to repent, God will deal with that person. God will deal with us. How about you, my friend? Where do you stand? Where do, where do we stand with God? Do we, do, do, do we really know each other? Is there really something going on in our lives? I don't know why God had me to stop at this fifth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. I sought and sought and prayed and prayed and read and read. And I said, God, where do you want me to go here in 1 Corinthians? And this is where I landed. There's a reason he had allowed me or prompted me to do this. Maybe for me. Because I want to be open and pure. And I don't want to try to hide from God. I won't be just as transparent as I possibly can. Are you transparent today? David prayed that God might forgive him of hidden sin. Things that nobody knows anything about. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to, he, he had an affair with this woman, committed adultery. And he tried to hide it. That no one would know anything about it. And every way he turned, God revealed it. He had the, the woman's, she was pregnant, and he had the woman's husband, David did, sent back from the front lines of the battle to be with his wife. He slept outside the door. That didn't work. Then he even had him, had him killed. That no one knew anything about it. But then one day a man by the name of Nathan came to David and told him a little story. And David was irate as Nathan used this analogy of the lamb. And David said, that man shall pay. Nathan, the prophet of God, looked at David, the king of Israel, and pointed his finger in his face, and he said, thou art the man. I'd rather deal with my sin now than wait for the judgment to come. Are you listening? I said, I'd rather deal with my sin now. And that's what Paul said. Let this man deal with his sin. Let Satan deal with it. Let Satan afflict him. Whatever it takes, deal with the sin. And I'm saying this morning, if there's sin in your life, if there's disobedience in your life, and maybe like David, it's hidden. 
ask God to send the Holy Spirit like Nathan to reveal to us. Let him say thou art the man and fall on your knees and repent before God and get it all under the blood because I found out when I come to God and ask him to forgive me, he will forgive us. He'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you anymore. What a wonderful time when the Holy Spirit convicts and the individual prays and asks God to forgive and washes them clean. And they are pure and righteous because Jesus Christ made them. Our Passover lamb sacrifice his life that I could stand pure and holy. And the sin that you struggle with today, maybe you've struggled with it over and over throughout your life. The sin that you're struggling with today, lead on the altar. Get it before God. Ask him to forgive you. And he'll do it. I worship thee. Oh my God, there is none like you. Close your eyes and sing it. I worship thee, O Prince of Peace. I give you praise. For you are my righteousness. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. Let us pray, Father. I thank you this morning for revealing your truth to us. Lord, I don't want to rebel against this word. I don't want to pick it apart. I don't want to judge should this go to this one or should it be preached to that one. But God, we come before you with open hearts and open minds. Lord, and I realize we're living in a day when people no longer wants the Spirit of God to convict We no longer want to recognize sin as sin. We no longer want to speak or preach immorality. But God, we want to cover it up. We want to say it's okay. It's all right. It's all right to be a homosexual. It's all right to live together and not be married. It's okay to drink alcohol to satisfy myself. It's okay to go on the internet and look at pornography. It's okay for me to do all of these things that's contrary to the Word of God. But God, it don't hold water. It doesn't measure up. And I pray that this church will be a church, not a church of condemnation, but a hospital an emergency room where we as Christians or doctors that will have people to come in. They've been in an accident. They are sick. 
their arms out of joint, but we take and gently put it back in joint. They're filled with all kind of of immorality and sin, and it's like a cancerous tumor. And we as your people will gently, kindly, caringly reach out, perform surgery, the surgery of your word, the surgery of your spirit, to remove that sin, to get it out of that life where it will not destroy. And help us to realize it's not all right. Help us to say, though others are doing it, I'm not going to do it. Why everybody else is doing it, why can't I do it? Because God says not do it. Why can't I go and watch X-rated, R-rated movies? Why can't I see this movie? Why can't I go and dress this way? Why can't I go and say the things I want to say? Because God says not do it. Help us to purpose in our hearts that we're going to live a holy life. Lord, you said sanctify ourselves that you might sanctify us wholly. Oh, I know if some people hear this sermon, Lord, they're going to think, oh, he's prideful. He thinks he's holy. Oh, no, I don't. And no one that lives before God, they don't feel that way. But Father, help us to sanctify ourselves that you might sanctify us wholly. Help us to guard our eyes that we will not look at things we should not look at. Help us to guard our ears that we will not listen to things that we should not listen to. Help us to guard our mind and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, I I just know, I just know you're coming back for church without spot or wrinkle. But I know you don't hear that much today. I know we don't hear a lot about sanctification and cleansing and purity and holiness, sincerity and truth. Lord, we may sit here today and say, I'm sincere and God's going to God's going to take care of me. Not if it's not attached to truth. Because we can be sincerely wrong. And there's a lot of people in hell that were sincere. But they were sincerely wrong. Our sincerity must have truth attached to it. Oh God, I thank you that we can see your Holy Spirit dealing in this service today. I know it's dealing. I know, dear God, you're dealing with me. You've dealt with me in this sermon, and I thank you for it. Reveal your truth to us today.